Hi, this is Danielle Cursa from The Jealous Curator, and this is episode 179 of Art for Your Ear. Well, this is the second to last episode of this season, and I'm talking to an artist that I first wrote about way back in 2011. You might remember a set of brass knuckles topped with huge shards of crystals. Yep, that was the first piece by American sculptor Deborah Baxter that I, and millions of other people, ever saw. <laughs> well, it now resides in the Smithsonian. Mm-hmm. How's that for an intro? Anyway, I have been following Deborah since then, 2011, um, and since then that has included a lot of amazing work, insane jewelry, a bunch of shows, uh, a move that she made from Seattle to Santa Fe, and recently, 30 small sculptures that she did as part of the 30-day art quarantine um, hashtag that I tossed out into the social media world in early March. Deborah jumped right in and started making one small sculpture from objects um, that she found in her studio every day. And dang, every single day I had a new favorite. So clearly enough was enough and it was time to get her on the podcast. Now you're going to hear a little rustling around for the first bit. Could it be a pencil tapping? Is she wearing a scarf that's bumping the mic? No, in typical Deborah Baxter fashion, she was wearing two giant rock necklaces. Of course she was. <laughs> okay, so without further ado, here is my conversation with Deborah from her home slash studio in Santa Fe, New Mexico. Hi, Deborah. Welcome to Art for Your Ear. Hello, how's it going? <laughs> Good. Okay, how... How has COVID life been for you down there in Santa Fe? Um, I mean, I specifically feel like I have, I'm in a really good situation because my studio is at home and I can work. And because we live outside of Santa Fe, I can go for walks. And oh, not, nice. But the, the emotional part of it is hard. Yeah. Are you, and, um, are you being productive? Like, do you feel like, like, well, we'll talk about the 30 day art quarantine because you blew my mind every day, but are you feeling productive? Or are you feeling blah or, or both? Well, it, it's interesting. I, I say for the most part, I'm being productive, but then I have days that I'm just like, okay, this is an emotional weird day. And I just have to, uh, be really kind and soft with myself and not push myself too hard. I think your advice on the podcast that said something like, we're in an insane time, cut yourself some slack. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, and it's so funny because I thought that after I was like, okay, everybody, let's do this 30 day art quarantine and let's make something every day because I didn't think it would keep, I mean, none of us thought it would keep going. Right. I thought we had yeah. two weeks of being inside. I'm like, oh, awesome. Two weeks of being inside. I love that. Let's I make stuff all the time. And now it's like, oh dear God, it's still going. Well, and I think I kind of, you know, I might have already thanked you for starting that because I think I was so panicked and freaking out at the beginning that I think the art quarantine saved my life and my sanity to put a focus and a to each day. Mm -hmm. Well, I loved. I mean, you know, I loved every single thing you made, and I'd be like, I'd comment and be like, Oh my god, my new favorite. And then you put something up the next day or whatever. Were you literally <laughs> doing it every day or every second day or? No, it was pretty much every day. Yeah, and um, everyone blew my mind. I was like, okay, oh my God, new favorite. And then you do something else. Well, oh, God, new favorite. <laughs> well, bless you. I mean, 
there were some, I felt like there were some duds. And so on the, the day after it, I posted all my duds, which I thought, what I thought were, because there were a bunch I made that I didn't post. Yeah. Because I feel like failure is such a, or perceived failure is such an important part of making that I thought it was important to just reveal. Totally. Like, and, and duds are, um, they have to happen. I always say that to people. You can't just sit down and make masterpiece after masterpiece. You have to make the duds that, you know. Yeah, Yeah, completely. you just do. Yeah. yeah. Um, I can hear a little jingling. Is there, are you wearing a scarf or something? Oh, I have huge necklaces on. Let me of course up. you do. <laughs> of course you do. <laughs> two, two big necklaces. It's so funny because who is going to see me? But, okay, they're off. There we go. Thank you. Um, oh my God, I love your big necklaces. We'll get to that though. Okay, so let's rewind in time. I want to know what you were like as a kid. Where, where were you growing up and were you making stuff... You back then? So I'm from Lincoln, Nebraska, and um, was there until I was 19. And I always made stuff. And I feel like I was really blessed in that my mother, I think I was telling her this yesterday, that she's kind of a creative genius. <laughs> and, and she also, I mean, she's a quilt maker, uh, but her mind works in a really different, interesting way. And uh, she also, you know, I didn't think of this until I talked to her. It's like she studied early childhood stuff because she was a kindergarten teacher at, at one point. And she was okay with me making messes and trashing the place and ruining things. That's and, awesome. uh, I mean, sometimes I got in trouble, but you know, <laughs> and I always, uh, I always, you know, d did the kind of normal drawing and painting, but I did make teeny little sculptures too. Did teeny. you? Out of yeah. what? Well, one of the first, well, she told me this story yesterday that I was like, I'm glad I don't remember that. She <laughs> told me I, I made this amazing sculpture out of silly putty and then I ate it. Like, no. <laughs> <laughs> I bet it did look delicious. <laughs> but I mean, she's, we still have this tiny, tiny um, it's like in in a little Brazilian nut with toothpicks. I made this little oh. tiny, uh, crash, like manger with baby Jesus, <laughs> like, <laughs> and it's so tiny that I could, if I made it now, I'd have to use toothpicks. And I'm like, how did I get my little fingers in there? Wow. That's so cool. <laughs> the other funny story or I are just weird is that when I was like little enough to be in a crib, I took the screws out of the crib and made it fall apart. Like what wow. child? But anyway, <laughs> I don't know if that's creative or just like OCD. But, um, <laughs> I think it was definitely a glimpse into your future. That's so crazy. Um, and so growing up, did you, did you want to be an artist when you grew up or was that even something on your radar? Um, I think I, yeah, let's see what, I think like any kid, you're, you have a lot of different things you might want to do, but I did always want to be an artist. There was an artist in our community that we would be able to go to her studio. And I was like, Ooh, a studio. <laughs> like I was able to, uh, have be exposed to people that were professional artists. So I saw that that was a thing you could do. Right. Um, and thankfully my parents, my dad is a retired anesthesiologist, but he's 
an amazing landscape photographer. So luckily they like cheered me on. And it's interesting that like the first year of college, I went to the university of Nebraska Mm -hmm. and, and while uh, what's so interesting to look back on now is my dad was so mad at me because he wanted me to go to an art school and he wanted me to like, if I was going to do something, go to the best place to do it. And I, I kind of love that. Yeah. Um, and I did end up transferring to an art school. At the, my first year in university, I was trying to decide if I liked writing or psychology or for sure wanted to go into art. And it right. turns out psychology and writing and art are all connected. They sure are. Well, and you know, <laughs> and it's so hard when you're that age um, to kind of know, you know, like a, a first year in like dabbling like that is usually kind of good because it sort of helps you realize like, oh, no, I really want to be making art or no, I really want to be over here or whatever it is. You know, it's such a hard, like you're so young to make that kind of decision. So I know it's funny to look back on now of like knowing anything when you're that young. Like, yeah, I did go, I went to the uh, Minneapolis College of Art and Design for undergraduate because uh, I was doing paintings that were I, starting to become 3D. Oh. And I thought they had an amazing, huge shop. And I, I was like, I know I'm going to need to go into 3D, so I better go to a place with an awesome shop. Oh, that is so <laughs> that's so cool. And so when you got there, how long did it take to go from painting to sculpture? You know, I think the, what's funny to look back on now is I feel like at the time, okay, so I did do painting, sculpture, ton of video, ton of medium format photography. And at the time, they were like, what, would you stop (laughs) being all over the place? Um, Even though for the most part, my focus was making these big steel sculptures. I was trying to be David Smith. Oh, I have to look up David Smith. I'll have to like email you. Okay. Of me as a 21 year old by this huge steel sculpture that I made. Oh, yes, yes. Oh, yeah. I I look like a baby. It's so fun. So, yeah, and, and the thing that I just thought of recently is that uh, the sculpture teachers, Brad Jerka and Michael, Michael Bigger, were, um, well, Michael Bigger has, has now passed, but he was kind of a machismo, uh, big, huge steel sculpture guy. Yeah. And the thing I love is that they did not care that I was a woman. They were like, that never was an issue. They, I just was highly encouraged because, you know, That's a woman fantastic. doing big stuff. I don't know. It could have been, I don't know what could have happened, but it was the only thing that was not cool that Michael Bigger said is like, don't have kids. Oh, <laughs> it's just kind of a classic. Um, anyway, don't ruin your ride. Feel, but, um, yeah, no, but, I hear you. That that does come up in art school a lot. That I remember that discussion a lot. That if you wanted to be serious, you weren't supposed to have kids. Uh, yeah, and it, you know that's so amazing too. Like because I assume you were welding and all sorts of things, right? Yeah, and I, yeah. you know, for Michael, uh, not Mike, uh, Brad Jerka, I'm still in touch with him because uh, he was so instrumental in my all my early sculpture classes, and he let me TA his sculpture class and teach them how to weld and. Wow. Um, That's crazy. And so um, by the time you were done, 
um, mm -hmm. was, were you even painting at all or was it just all sculpture by the end? Well, it's interesting. I, I, it's interesting that I went kind of, it was almost all sculpture and video. Like that was my, uh, final show mm -hmm. or thesis show. Um, and, but you know, as I got out of school, I did do some painting. Oh. Um, and then for a while thought I was a painter. And I was an awful painter. <laughs> Why did you think you needed to paint? I, uh, I don't know. It might, you know, I don't know. I mean, I can like focus my creative energy and just spill it into almost anything. Right. Uh, uh, I don't know now. Cause now that I, like I was trying to paint abstractly and the, the thing that's crazy making about abstract painting is, you don't ever know when you're done. You just, it's like you go in circles and then all of a sudden you ruin the whole thing. But you know, all, all the, because I did so much teaching after that, for me to have skills in all these areas meant I was able to teach black and white photography and I was able to teach drawing and painting and I was able to teach sculpture. Right. Um, well, so what did you do when you graduated? Where did you move? Did you stay in Minneapolis? So I was there for a year and then I moved to Seattle. Okay, where you were for a good chunk of time, right? Yeah. And is that, you know, yeah. is that where you were teaching? I was teaching, uh, yeah, kids in middle school and then high school and then eventually went to grad school. Wow. <laughs> because, um, I love teaching. Um, I think the only thing difficult with kids is like classroom management. But <laughs> Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> No kidding. I was telling somebody, I, I taught a um, design class, um, a second year design class at a college. It was the hardest job I've ever had in my life. Easily. J yeah. Just managing, like, and I thought, oh, second year in college, like, they've paid to be here. No. Oh, my God. There was one guy that would sleep in the back. There was another girl that told me every week she had her period. And could, couldn't be in class. And I was like, you've had it every Friday for months. Like, you, you should go to your doctor. Like, this isn't right. Oh, my God. It was, it was the hardest job I've ever had in my whole life. Um, so did you – okay, wait. I'm getting ahead of myself here. Okay. So you're teaching – you're in Seattle. Mm -hmm. You're still doing your own practice. Mm -hmm. um, but then you decided to go to grad school so that you could teach university level? Yeah, that's part of it. The the other part of this story I want to mention that is kind of, I really like talking about failure. Yeah, no, that's <laughs> Is awesome. that I applied to grad school, I was, I can't even remember how many times, to the University of Washington, probably two or three times, and then Seattle University twice for a teaching, uh, and I can't remember if there are other schools I I could not get into grad school. And then the thing that's funny is I end up getting into Bard, which is the hardest grad school to get into <laughs> later because I did it too early because I thought that was what I was supposed to do. I didn't know. I don't know. Right. But I ended up taking nine years and actually trying to get my work good. <laughs> and then, uh, and I was also in a place where I was teaching middle school for five years and I wanted to uh, either teach college or, um, I just knew something big needed to change and grad school is always a good way to. Right. I, uh, I do think that, I mean, I, I didn't go to grad school, so <clears throat> I'm just talking out of my ass essentially, but I always thought going to grad school would be so much better a little bit later 
<clears throat> you know, instead of graduating and going, I mean, I know lots of people do that. They graduate and then they do grad school right after. But for me, I changed so much in the five, eight years after that I think if I went later, I just the work would be different. You would handle it differently, like emotionally, everything. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think uh, most, I mean, I don't know about other grad schools, but at least Bard was like, very difficult emotionally and in some ways physically because you're just killing yourself. Um, and you have to, pre- I think you have to have a pretty good foundation to be able to take the criticism and not break, absor- absorb it yeah, and yeah. Not have it mess with you too much. Um, and I don't know if that helps that, that I was older, but the, the way Bard's program is structured is it's over three summers and they have tons of like, basically famous artists and writers and musicians come out and you have one-on-one meetings with tons, as many as you can. Wow. So what the thing that happens is that one per will look at the same sculpture and one person will be hate it. And the next person will love it. And then you have to like weed through and decide, you know, it's re- it, it taught me really to deeply trust my gut right uh, in that and kind of not care what people think which is awesome you know I do to some extent but I if I know it's good I don't care what you think yeah and that comes with age too right I think so yeah and experience and, and but the only time it bothers me is when I know there's a problem with the piece and someone picks up on it, then it's like, oh, you're right. But, <laughs> I, I sometimes say that about inner critics, like sometimes your inner critic is right. You know, they're assholes and they deliver it in kind of a mean way. But like sometimes when there is that niggly feeling mm-hmm. or or somebody says it, <clears throat> you know, you're like, oh, I know. You yeah. Know, and then you have to set about fixing it. But yeah, that's a really interesting way to like meet with all these different people because my downfall was I had one main painting prof and what he told me in my mind, it was gospel, right? Because there were mm-hmm. no other opinions. It was just what he said. So I just believed those as truths. But, you know, if I'd been showing my work to a bunch of different people and they were giving different opinions, yeah, you could kind of weed through and just take take the bits that struck a chord to make you go, yeah, I should tweak this or like, okay, this mm-hmm. is encouraging. I'm going to keep pushing this way. Um, that's actually quite brilliant. Yeah, it, wor- it works great. I mean, there are professors like um, Na- I, the two sculptured uh, professors, Nancy Shaver, Taylor Davis, who I'm actually, uh, I guess, putting together a show that they're going to be in in Santa Fe with a bunch of other women sculptors mm. later this year. But um you know, some people were there either the whole time or a big chunk of the time. So you get continuous feedback from them. Right. Um, so. Were you, was, ner- were you nervous going into those one-on-ones or were you like, bring it? Hmm. I was like, bring, I think what helped is I, <laughs> is I didn't always know who they were. Right. <laughs> or how important they were until after I talked to them. <laughs> That's probably a good thing, actually. I remember, like, Dario Robletto comes into my studio, and he's like, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm Googling you. I'm trying to figure out <laughs> who you are. <laughs> but, <laughs> Was he cool with that? Well, he, do you know who he is? He's a very famous artist. <laughs> no, I don't. 
Yeah, yeah. He's a very famous American artist who was, you know, around my age or might even be younger. He was kind of an art star. So, but it helped that. (laughs) That's awful. Um, I mean, sometimes I don't know why it wasn't intimidating because they took you so seriously that it wasn't like there was any hierarchical thing going on. It was like we were equals. Oh, that's so fantastic. And it was like the other best part of Bard is like a lot of dance parties. (laughs) Dance parties inside, dance parties outside, dance parties with three people and a boom box. I mean, it's just (laughs) (laughs) like a really good way to let off steam. Yeah. And you could have minored in dance. You could have probably put that on your resume. Um, And so did your work change a lot during that time? It did very drastically. And it's interesting that we kind of got to the essence of what I was trying to get to hmm. in a completely different, like I went in doing so, these soft sculptures made out of powder puffs and fabric that were supposed to be cloud-like things, which now I look back in that and I'm like, oh, that was bad. <laughs> but it, a lot of it was, you know, about the same things I'm interested in is vulnerability, um, how to derive power from vulnerability, um, a lot of stuff that Brene Brown writes about, uh, and it kind of ended up solidifying and I ended up working in stone by the end. Wow. But yeah. Yeah. That's so, that is so cool. Like it's so funny because your work is so hard, you know, like the first piece I saw from you was that, um, the, the ring with the big crystals coming off of it, like the, whatever that's called. It's called, <laughs> you may have to beep it. Go for it. <laughs> it's, it's called um, Crystal Brass Knuckles. Um, I'm going to realign your chakras, motherfucker. Yes, excellent. <laughs> that was the first one anyway, yeah. And when, when did you do that? Was, that? was that post-grad school or was that during? or? That was post-grad school. Okay, but, um, but the formation, like that kind of stuff was already underway as you were coming out of school? Kind of, you know, the... Uh, the overlapping like theme is this idea of protection and safety uh and I've always I mean I don't know why I'm kind of interested in armor and weaponry (laughs) that sounds kind of weird but um maybe it was from a past life or something yeah maybe I was a warrior yeah Uh, (laughs) um but the crystal bass knuckles the you know that was in 2009 and I and at the time I thought I thought it was hilarious. Like, I just thought it was funny. And like, to take something that's supposed to heal you and that is uh, new agey and this magical thing and that use it for a weapon is just so, (laughs) I thought it was hilarious. It is hilarious and beautiful and kind of scary. Like I made one that was devil horns, crystal brass knuckle, and trying to look like the devil horns you put up at a metal show. Yeah. (laughs) And I was in a rock shop trying to find rocks the right size for my finger, and I was, like, dying laughing that I was like, how absurd to do devil horns. Anyway, um, but the funny thing is about the brass knuckles, I'm still trying to wrap my brain around it, honestly. The, The reaction to it, even, it's been, like, 11 years now. Yeah. And, I, and people just go nuts. It's like 500 memes. It's gone viral over and over and over. Um, it's also the thing of mine that is in two museum collections, the Smithsonian and the Albuquerque Museum. Oh, my God. 
just so bizarre. I don't care if anyone likes this. I think this is awesome. That's where the magic is. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, it's funny. I was talking to my friend Dawn about why, why are museums interested in this? When I think some of my other work takes way more skill or might be more profound and you know it might also be like this is it's like capturing a moment in time i think that's what it is i was gonna say so there's some pop culture-ness to it yeah and i think i mean part of why i think it's funny or or what my for some reason i'm really interested in hip-hop jewelry and brass knuckles and mm-hmm. the oh, the over embellishment of hip-hop mm-hmm. and i at some point wrote a grant to like uh, equate the hip hop to the Baroque period. <laughs> Ooh. Um, it's just, I don't know. Did you and get I, the grant? I did get the grant. Yeah. Yeah. Dang. Yeah. Oh. I'm still, you know, it's an ongoing thing, but it's kind of like, uh, putting high and low culture together, like something that's like, I mean, I'm a white girl. Let's not kid ourselves. <laughs> I'm not like, I'm so street, you know, yeah. I'm from, um, I'm from the hard streets of Nebraska, yeah. straight to <laughs> Seattle. Oh my God. Yeah. And so do you, how do you feel about the fact that like when, when people Google you now, those knuckles are, it's pretty much the first thing that comes up. Are you, how do I feel? About yeah. How do you feel about that? Are you like, um, you guys, that was 2009 or are you yeah. like, all right. There's, oh, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's, it's become its own phenomena that's completely outside of me and out of my hands, you know, right. and it's, that phenomena is fascinating because I cannot totally wrap my brain around why it, it's been going in circles for 11 years and I'll make a new one and people still freak out, you know. It's I like, was just going to okay. say, do you feel pressure to... To just be like, well, okay, that's what people like. I guess I'll just keep going there, or, or, because you're doing your uh, own thing. But like, yeah, you you do. They do show up every now and then. Yeah, I try. I make one every year or two. Yeah. Well, the the rule I try to have with myself is like, I will make another one if I find uh, a cool enough crystal that's the right size that feels like it is new and fresh to me than right. what I have done in the past. So I'm. I totally could have become a crystal breast knuckle factory and probably made bank if I was smart <laughs> or really, you know, but if that were the case, I don't think it'd be in the Smithsonian, you know? Right. Yes. Um, yeah. I just made, I have a new one that I just finished that is going to be in our show at Rock LaRue and it's got black quartz in it. And so that, you know, and I've been looking for black quartz for like, I don't know, like 10 years. So, wow. you know. And, and so what did you do? Other hip hoppy stuff with? Not necessarily. I mean, I, uh, I think more, you know, I do like really large jewelry and I like, I make really large jewelry and I do, I don't wear it like this in public a ton, but I do have photographs with me with like 10 different huge necklaces on like a hip hop person. Would. <laughs> I know. And how heavy is that? They're pretty heavy. Yeah. Some of them are pretty heavy. <laughs> I know. I've seen lots of pictures of you with them, and they're so stunning. And I just think, I wonder if that hurts her neck. <laughs> oh. <laughs> when, you, when you have a whole bunch of them on. 
Oh, maybe if you wear, wear a whole bunch of yeah. them. But yeah, I, uh, I love them. Stunning. I feel like they feel like uh, wearing a shield or like a force field or like, I also have this interest. It's funny for how, for going to grad school and studying all this like intellectual art theory stuff and then come back to, it's all comes from Superman. Like, you know, like right. it, to go back to this very simplistic, like, when I was a child, the Fortress of Solitude changed my life. Like, oh my but God, there yes. is this, because it was made of crystals. Yes. And I think like that's where it all stems from is like, it's a, it's like creates a superpower. Um, Absolutely. And it's, and it's safe and you're protected and all of that stuff that you were talking about. Yeah. And I, you know, it's funny, my friend, um, mineralogy project, her name is Susanna. She's, we were, we were doing a collaboration where she chose the crystals and I'm making the jewelry. And, um, she's been selling crystals like gangbusters right now. Just mm. during this hard time, people are trying to like, how do I take care of myself and my energy or something? Yeah. So, yeah. Well, there is something, um, it's so funny because I wasn't, I, I'm on, I've always been attracted to um, stuff like that. And for me, it was because when I was little, I lived in Nova Scotia and my dad is a scientist and just one of those guys that like knows stuff, you know, and um, we were walking around on the beach and I must've been five and my dad said, watch this. And uh, he picked up this, it just was like a big gray rock and um, he cracked it in half and it was amethyst. Oh, wow. And I was like, you are a magician. Like, I, I couldn't understand how this chunk of a rock had this magic inside of it. And so we always had, like, living in Nova Scotia, you could find it like that. And so we, we always had big chunks of it on our fireplace and whatever. And um, I've always thought that that kind of stuff was magic. And then when my dad passed away at the end of 2018, I had this, like, weird panic of... I need a rose quartz ring. I don't know why. I just wanted a rose quartz ring so that, I don't know, like I just felt like it was going to make me feel better or something. So I got a big chunky one. And every time I wear it, I think of my dad. Oh, I mean, I, of all the crystals, like that, I don't know. I don't know what to call it. You know, some people are super sensitive to their energies and in a very specific ways. And they're, uh, Rose quartz is one of the things I always get like a magic ah vibe from. Like ah, it's like love. It's like yeah. warm and fuzzy and soothing. Yeah, and I it's just so funny because I'd never really like thought about it or whatever. But as soon as he died, I was just like, I need that. And my husband was like, Oh, okay. Um, I don't know why. I just was instantly drawn to it. And then mm. I think that's why like your work, especially all those thirty day. Um, quarantine pieces like there was big chunks of crystal in all of them and but glass and like very fragile things mixed with very hard things and um I don't know it just completely spoke to me and I mean I already loved your work I've written about you a few times but those were just like every single one of them seemed like there was a little bit of magic in there hmm. and I think it's from the I don't know if it was the color combinations or the uh, material combinations Oh. But, um, yeah, like, so, okay, I have a question. I love that. Thank you, by the way. Well, you're <laughs> welcome. Where, when you were saying that you were, like, looking for black quartz, where do you go looking for crystals? Like, are you just constantly on a hunt? Yes. Yeah. I mean, you know, 
I have like specific supplier in like Arkansas, a dude that has a mine there for um, a lot of smaller pieces for my jewelry. Um, whenever I'm on a road trip, I'm looking for a rock shop on the side of the road. My friend Susanna with Mineralogy Project provides me with some cool stuff. Or she'll go to a rock and gem show and say, are you looking for something? And then I'll give her a list. Wow. Um, yeah. And sometimes do you just find like, so you said you were like specifically looking for one, like for that devil horn thing. But then do you sometimes like if somebody like your friend just sends you a chunk you kind of just react to that chunk and make something from that, like as, as opposed to like looking for something specific. Yeah. Just, yeah. The ones that she, but she, I, I knew with Susanna that she chooses such amazing stones that they would all be amazing. So I guess my jewelry was maybe responding right to her. God, she has a good eye. She gets some really amazing stuff. Are you guys doing that project right now or is that done or is it ongoing? No, no, it's sitting right here. Oh, oh. No, it's going to be released. I keep wanting to move it up and then I have more things come up. But um, <laughs> I think the first time in first week in June or maybe the end of like very soon, like within a week or so. Oh, my God. Um, because and part of it is I really want to at least 50 percent of it is going to go to Navajo Nation because they're having oh, a yeah. time with COVID right now. And it's I think in America and I don't know if this is totally accurate is they're having the worst spread right now. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, you know, it, it's hard during this. I'm like, how can I help, you know, unless I'm yeah. going to sew face max all day. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. Oh no, that's so, amazing. That's, that's amazing. one of the things we're, we're trying to, we had this whole plan of like, we had a model scheduled and we were going to do this whole thing and then it just got shut down. So now I'm like, should I send them to you? And you take a couple of selfies? Like, right. <laughs> right. I know everybody's like constantly adapting about, okay, how do we keep moving forward? But now, um, so I wanted to ask you, I don't know if I had it on my list of questions. Um, oh, maybe I do. What do you, do you spend like, is it 50% of your time on jewelry, 50% of your time on sculpture? Or what, how does that net out? Mm. How does that net out? <clears throat> I, I mean, it depends on the season and what is needed. I would say, honestly, it's like 90% on sculpture and 10% on jewelry. Mm-hmm. But around the holidays, it gets to be like all jewelry. Right. You know, like I yeah, just try to have a ton ready for Christmas. Yeah. Or, but um, your jewelry, though, like in fairness, I mean, I'll do do a great big post so that everybody can see what we're talking about. But a lot of your jewelry is kind of sculpture that you can wear. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it did come after the crystal brass knuckles of like, because the, the crystal brass knuckles are so heavy. You, it's not, it's more of a piece of art. It's not something super wearable. Right. Um, unless you want to get in a fight. Yeah, unless. You then you're do. really ready. Unless you want to realign some chakras motherfucker then then you're ready to go yeah yeah (laughs) (laughs) yeah so um yeah so I started making necklaces uh and they're amazing because they're huge like I love the big chunky ones I do too but some people you know as far as like what normal people wear on a daily basis it's not always the huge (laughs) (laughs) I I mean I will and especially at an art opening I wear huge stuff yeah, but, well, and I think some people can pull it off, like, and some people can't. Some people need a smaller thing, you know, but because yeah. it's definitely a statement. But man, alive, they're gorgeous. Um, 
And so, yeah, okay, so that makes sense around Christmas, of course. And um, <laughs> so now, okay, so you're working on that show with her. What 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 have you got going on? Like, what's um, when you did all the 30 day quarantine stuff? But oh, I saw that you were chipping away at a giant oh. paper bag that's not paper. Oh, yeah, yeah. So <laughs> is it killing you? After doing other kinds of sculpture and going back to stone carving, you're like, dude, this is hard. Yeah. You know, like, this is really difficult. <laughs> uh, it's very physically difficult to, like, use the tools and lift the rock. And, um, yes, I'm doing, I'm doing two things in stone right now. And one of them is a hyperventilation bag. So it's ah. – and with crystals kind of jetting out of it. So it's, like – you, your anxiety turning into power through the crystals. Um, because I think it's a time where everybody's anxious. Yes. Yeah. Good <laughs> the call. The uncertainty that's getting to us. The other thing I'm doing, which I, is, uh, I mean, we'll see, is I'm going to make a stone face mask. <gasps> like, Ooh. I know. I almost don't want to tell, tell people because someone else is going to do it. I just know it. But it's... Uh, it's such a powerful, because I, years ago I did an inhaler because I have asthma. And I was, I'd love, it's because it's still around the idea of safety. And I had done a face mask like 10 or 11 years ago. Oh, out of what? Stone? Stone, yeah. Oh. A different shaped one, like the kind I wore in my studio. Okay. I'll, I'll, I'll send you the picture. But, um, and I, I feel like it's time. Yeah, <laughs> no kidding. One because we're going to be inundated with face nests for God knows how long. Yeah. Yeah. No kidding. That is crazy. So with asthma, you have to wear a mask. Well, I mean, I guess even if you didn't have asthma, you'd have to wear a mask because of all of the stuff. Yeah. I mean, and I, I have a pretty serious respirator. I have a lot of safety equipment. Um, I did carve these pillows a few years ago and had to stop because I accidentally had a leak in my inhale or not my, uh, respirator and uh, inhaled some of it and screwed my lungs up. But oh my God. I know. And then I'm like, you know, art's not worth dying for. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, I love, <laughs> <laughs> is it something? Anyway, so uh, I haven't done it for a while and that was part of what scared me out of it is, but now I have a pretty good respirator. These are smaller pieces. I should be Fine. Yeah, yeah. Oh my God, that'll be amazing. Um, and where do you think? Let, let's get deep and heavy here. Where do you, like, you know, the, the sort of constant theme of your work about vulnerability and like seeking like armor and um, looking for a safe place? Like, do you know where that comes from? Ooh, I know. Really. <laughs> I'm going to pull a Barbara um, Walters and try and make you cry or make, make okay, myself yeah. cry or something. I don't know. <laughs> um, you know, it's funny. I, I don't know entirely where all of it comes from. It comes from a, a lot of the work, at least in grad school, had to do not with physical safety, but emotional safety and how terrifying it is to fall in love and like how vulnerable you have to be to fall in love. Or, or I did this piece a few years ago that was vocal cords saying, I love you because I said, I love you once to this guy and he didn't say it back. Oh boy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I was like, wow, talk about vulnerable. Like, <laughs> or what's that thing? What show was it on when somebody said, I love you. And the other person said, thank you. And it's like, 
Uh oh. <laughs> oh yeah, I just saw that. What was it? But, um, and you know, before that, on kind of a, I don't know, a little bit of a dark story is like in college. It ended up being a joke, but this guy I was friends with put this note on my car saying that he was stalking me and what he wanted to do to me, and it was terrifying. And I made this body of work that was women. (laughs) This is awful, by the way. (laughs) It had a photograph of that note, and it was a photograph thing and it was big sculptures that were weapons and women in their underwear wearing masks wow how how like a bad feminist early (laughs) work but it I was just thinking about that like you know that kind of pertain like I've always been interested in like being a badass or you know defending yourself yeah and in college I love this I'm trying to like make this stick but it's I think it's over is my nickname in college was big powerful deb Or BPD. Uh, oh my God, I can't get everybody to tell, call me that anymore, though. No, but, well, make your Instagram handle that, and then that's who you'll become. <laughs> good idea. Right? Not uh, too late. So how, how long did it take for him to come clean that that was a, a, like a quote-unquote joke on your dashboard? Oh, I don't know. It was a few days. I mean, there oh were like God. police involved and <gasps> me crying. I mean, it was. I won't tell you the what it said but it was pretty and you thought that would just be funny yeah how is that funny that's terrifying terrifying. I I lived on the edge of this awful neighborhood and had been followed before in Minneapolis where I went to school and it's just like don't mess with a little 22 year old you know I don't know I wasn't 21 I think yeah oh god when I went to the University of Victoria and um when in my fourth year, I was a resident advisor. And so we got to school a little bit like a week before everybody else did so that we could do our training and stuff. And there was sort of half girls, there's 40 of us, half girls, half guys. They gave all of the girls whistles, rape whistles. Oh. And they didn't give anything to the guys. Gave gave us rape whistles um, for when we were on duty because you'd have to walk around at night and make sure everybody was, you know, tucked in and not doing bad things. And, um, it was terrifying. Like I, there's so many moments where I was like, do I blow it? <laughs> you know? Yeah. And, um, yeah, if somebody had left me a joke note like that, I would have punched them with a brass ring filled with crystals because that, yeah. that's terrifying. Cause yeah, it's already I mean, terrifying was... to begin with. Right. Let, let alone. Yeah. Yeah. Woo. It was, I mean, and I really, what I, I think, I, and I feel like this is not something men have to deal with as much as, how often I was truly scared walking home. I know. And really, I mean, I have the best peripheral vision and I know how to hold my keys so I could stab you with them. I mean, I know. I don't have to worry about that now. In, like, I'm outside of town in the middle of nowhere, but um, it's, and it's so ingrained in you that you now, you're always, even when we don't have neighbors that can necessarily see him, I'm very conscious. While yeah. my husband's walking around naked, I'm like, you know, I would not do that because <laughs> I just am not an idiot. I just, you know, but I'm used to living in a city that, uh, whatever. Yeah, know. no, I totally, completely hear you. It's um, when when all of the Me Too was happening, um, my husband, you know, there's stuff coming out about how women just walk home with their keys between, you know, in their fingers, or you always have your keys ready so that you can get in your car immediately instead of like digging around in your purse once you get to your car. And my husband was like, 
do you, have you done any of that? And I was like, I've done all of that. Like, you don't even think about it. It's just like, the, I was like, of course. And he was like, oh my God. Like he, like, not, he didn't cry, but he looked like he was going to, cause he was like, that's horrific. And I was like, that's just being a woman, especially in a city. Like that's just yeah. how it is. And so it's really um, interesting that you're doing all of this work. That's kind of talking to that in a way. Yeah, I think some of it is about that, because I remember when I was in grad school, there was some sort of show at MoMA, I think, that had some sort of personal, it was about personal safety in different ways, and it had this ring that you could pull it at, off and it turn it into brass knuckles, like you pull it out oh, okay, and yeah. it into four rings, and yeah. I remember that, like, stuck in my brain. Yeah, yeah. And was, yeah, yeah, so. Craziness. Yeah. Um, lady. Yeah. Oh boy. Um, you know what I wanted to know about the, um, the 30 day quarantine, because so you were doing one of them every day and there was so many materials. So like there was glass and there was chunks of metal and there was like found like heads and stuff like that. Like, do you just have a studio full of stuff? Yes. Oh my God. I yes. want to go I mean to there. I want to go to, I, I made a comment on somebody's Instagram. I want to go to there, but I'm talking about Liz Lemon. Do we yeah, all know that? We all know Liz okay. Lemon. Yeah. Okay. Um, <laughs> I, 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 that's what was like, I am a thrift shop junkie. And actually right after this, I just found out my local thrift shop just opened today. Ooh. I, <clears throat> I can't control myself. I cannot wait to get there. Anyway, um, but your studio must just be filled with the weirdest stuff because I was like, hold on, she's in quarantine, but she's making these weird things every day, which means she's pulling a glass head out of somewhere. She's pulling a chunk of quartz out of somewhere. Like, do you just have boxes of stuff? Well, yeah, and they're kind of, every surface is covered with stuff. So, I mean, <laughs> part of my thing in general is I like to mix materials that don't normally seem to make sense together or yeah. um metal and crystals and rock and um so I have a lot of bits and pieces of all sorts of stuff and I have a, a kiln so I can make uh cast glass I didn't uh, know that yeah that's uh, yeah oh. there's a few pieces that are cast glass that I've made or I if it doesn't work I break it and then I'm like ooh, this piece is pretty I'm just um, oh my God. I didn't realize you were making the glass too. That is exciting. And let's see. Yes. I love thrift stores. I love, uh, antique stores. Mm -hmm. I, there used to be an antique, huge antique mall in Seattle that I would go to when I was stuck and just look at stuff. Yeah. But, um, that's what I often say is like, if I am feeling stuck, the first place I go, I don't go and meditate in a field or something. I go straight to a thrift shop and just walk yeah. around because there's so many weird bits and pieces. Yeah. How, how organized are you? Do you have like oh, rocks no. in one box or is it just <laughs> everywhere? It's everything's everywhere. I mean, I, I think it. to the horror of my husband, I mean, at least in my, <laughs> in my studio, I try to keep the house sane, but, um, <laughs> Yeah, I've been, and I keep trying to devise systems of shelves and things to to keep it off work surfaces because it just ends up everything being covered by cool, weird sh stuff. <laughs> stuff. Stuff. I love it. Um, we won't have to beep that one. Um, so, yeah, I can't even imagine. 
Um, I was going to ask, in how's how's the thrift situation in um, Santa Fe? Um, you know, I'm still, you know, I've been here four years. You'd think I'd figure it out. But um, I'm still figuring it out. It's not as awesome as this huge mall. Right. And, um, there are some good ones. There's some really cheap places that are fun that are just like Goodwill type yeah. places. Um, there's a good one in Ruidoso that could... I've got some really interesting stuff. It's a small town three hours from here. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> I mean, I don't go specifically for that. Right. <laughs> but, yeah, and I do sometimes look on eBay. I oh, mean, yeah. I Google alabaster bus. Or if you – this is a funny thing to Google. If you just start Googling alabaster sculpture, you get some really gnarly, interesting things. But, um, but yeah, I like old – um, busts from the early 1800 that are made out of stone. If, if they're not crazy expensive, I like to chop them up and turn them into things. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh my God. It's just so cool. I, I've never been to Santa Fe, but if I, I, there's actually so many galleries that are moving there now. Yeah. It's a, it's a big art, art town. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's interesting. I think when I first moved here from Seattle, people were like, did you move here? to be an artist or did you move here to for the art scene? And I was like, what? I would have moved to LA, but, um, <laughs> but it actually has been amazingly good for my career because there are a ton of galleries. Um, and the gallery I work with, um, is phenomenal. They're called form and concept. And, uh, you know, I think there's something about there's such, I mean, not this year, but there's such a tourist population Right. That people just pop in and drop seven grand. You know what I mean? It's just different. Something about Seattle is the. It was difficult to sell art in Seattle, despite the wealth. Right. And here, hmm. here people really drop money. Hmm. And why did you guys move there? Um. Let's see. We. I mean, we started looking for a job, or had my husband look for a job here because I was just Seattle. I didn't honestly didn't like how it was changing and getting overbuilt, but I really wanted sun. I really like sun. Yeah. And it's, I came here several times. And one of the times I was like, I'm going to end up moving here. I had this weird intuitive clarity of like, Oh, we're going to live here. Hmm. Okay. Uh, um, and I'm kind of, I don't know what, if that's intuition or psychic or like, sometimes I can like see things very clearly and know that they're going to happen. Um, and yeah, so my husband is a geologist and works for the <laughs> state of New Mexico. I know, hot, right? <laughs> Nothing sexier than a geologist. Well, no, he can maybe <clears throat> he can score you some hot rocks. Yeah, I mean. <laughs> oh so, my God, what does he think of your work? What does Rob think? Um, <laughs> Get him on here. I no. think he, you know, he's funny. Uh, it's funny to be married to a scientist because he's so different. Uh, he's so left-brained. Yeah, or, yeah. I mean, he's also a really good wood, woodworker, too. Um, I mean, I, the funny thing that he always says is he thinks I undercharge for everything and that I should charge, like, $20,000 for... I mean, he's he really thinks I'm very talented. But That's he's also, awesome. And every once in a while, he comes in and says the most profound, like, <laughs> clear, like, great idea... And then, but a lot of the time he's just like, I don't know, you know, I mean, it's just bizarre. 
Yeah. You know, like are not, I actually love not being married to an artist cause I dated some artists and it's, uh, we don't have to philosophize deeply. Yeah. <laughs> I know. What the whole, like it's just different. Like it's, does he, does no he ever bring you rocks? Yeah, he does sometimes. Yeah. I love um, that. Yeah. That's so funny. My husband and I met at work and people always say, oh, how can you work together? But the thing is, we do very different things. Like I was a designer and he was a programmer. And that's how we oh, met because oh. he was the guy I had to give my designs to and he'd incorporate them with the code. And um, But I was like, if we were both designers, I'm a little bit competitive. And I don't yeah. think that would have gone well. But because yeah, we do I, such different parts of the same job, like we we ended up going into advertising, working at the same ad agencies together, but I did the front part of the project, he did the back part of the project. So we were an amazing team because we never, you know, had to compete on any part of it. Yeah. I mean, I did meet my husband. He, at the time, was a full-time woodworker. Oh, and wow. I got a huge grant to do a 40 foot long table um, at it's actually a gallery called Howard house years ago in Seattle. Yeah. And um, I hold on a second. I just, I just dropped, my, I dropped my microphone. Oh, okay. There we go. <laughs> gonna have to, um, mic anyway, drop. so a mic drop <laughs> if only I said something good. Um, <laughs> Anyway, I thought he was cute, so I asked him to do it, even though I knew about five other wood. <laughs> um, so he's kind of interesting because he's very, really good with his hands and making. And uh, Have you guys ever, like, does he ever make you wood chunks to incorporate into stuff? Mm, I, no, he's made me pedestals and bases before. Yeah. Um, I've tried to get, I mean, what I keep doing is we, because we have like, uh, fireplaces in our house for heat, I keep, and he cuts all the wood. I keep stealing chunks from his wood pile. And the, I love it. <laughs> like really beautiful piece of cedar and using it. Oh, like, that's cool. And steal that stump. All of a sudden it ends up in my studio. <laughs> hey, you know what? Sorry, but this is what, this is what happens when you sign up to marry an artist. Stuff like that's going to go missing. You just have to deal with it. Oh, it's so cool. So, okay, so um, we're going to head to the not-so-speedy speed round, but is there anything that's going on that you want people to know about? Any upcoming shows that are happening? I know it's a weird time. Like, a lot of shows have gone online. Like, is there anything people should know? I, I have a couple. I feel like I have a bunch of stuff, actually. Some of it's TBA, but, you know, so I have this... Um, jewelry thing coming up yeah. that I'm going to release. I have my gallery here is going to do a little studio release of like five of the sculptures from, um, 30 day art quarantine. Oh, I love it. I think on the 30th. Okay. And of May. Yeah. And then in August, I'm having a solo show at Rock LaRue. And that's in um, Seattle, right? In Seattle. And yeah. although she is closed, she is hiding hiring a videographer to do videos and still sewing work. Yeah, that's cool. Like it's, you know, I, I did that just recently with a show in Nashville and um, it kind of worked. Like we sold half the work. I mean, I don't know, maybe we would have sold more if people could have actually seen them in person, but it, the video did a pretty good job. 
Yeah, I mean, I'm I just love her. She's a force to be reckoned with. Yeah, <laughs> that's what I've heard. I've heard that from so many people. And you yeah, you did that amazing. that show with um one of my friends, Rebecca Chaperone. You guys did a, yes, a two person show there. Her. Yeah, that was I a good combo. Her. You two. Yeah, the crystal. Yeah, the sport. crystal. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, so those things. Um, anything else we should know about? Um, depends if you want to go into 2021. (laughs) I'll have you back on. I'll have you back on for 2021. Um, well, I'm going to keep an eye on your Instagram to see how your, um, hyperventilating paper bag is going. Oh, yes. Just chipping away. I saw it had pencil marks on it the other day where you were going to keep on chipping. Yep. Yep. Chipping. (laughs) You must have more than, like, you must have that and then other things going on so that you, you aren't going crazy by chipping away at a bag like do you jump back and uh, forth so, I do jump back and forth but I had to because I broke my flex shaft I fixed it now but oh I saw that I saw that on Instagram too I was like I don't um, know what she broke I don't understand what that is but she fixed it so that's great yeah it mean I had to order the parts and then fix it but anyway but yeah you know in a way I get so obsessed like when I start making the paper bag I'm like obsessed with then I get obsessed with the way it looks and have dreams about it. So then it's sometimes just better to just focus and finish it. <laughs> yeah. I've been dreaming a lot about, I've been working with some weird stuff lately. I've, I, Deborah, I've become a sculptor. I saw that. And those are so exciting. I think it's because of you. I think it's because of those 30 day art quarantine pieces because I was like, I, not to be crazy, but like I was obsessed with them and, um, you know, I, t- I talk and talk all the time about all this art stuff to other people. And I'm always like, ooh, I love, and I write about objects all the time. And somehow I have in my head that I can't do them because I didn't even take um, a sculpture class in university. Like I, I did painting and printmaking and photography. I never went into the sculpture studio once. I was super mm. intimidated. It was mm. a lot of dudes and welding. And I was like, mm, yeah, no, no thank dudes. you. So I didn't go in there. And so in my mind, I've always had this thing. And um, that has been one of these amazing things about this quarantine is that, boy, we've all had a lot of time to think. And um, mm. watching mm. you do those and loving them so much, I was like, well, hold on. You know, and my paintings and my collage, whatever they are, mixed media, some things have been getting more and more 3D, just like you said about, you know, when yeah. you were doing yeah. yours. Like, And then suddenly, um, I, hey there, gallery in... Um, Joshua Tree, Mark Todd runs it, Mark Todd and Aaron Smith, and they're awesome. And they're doing this little object show. And they were like, hey, do you want to throw in like three to three to five objects? They can be paintings if you want, like little paintings, but they're putting them in bags, like toy bags, you know, like that you would buy. And so um, I was like, yeah, that's fun. Like I need a project because I'm just staring at a wall, not knowing what to do. And uh, all of a sudden, two sculptures came out of it. And now I've been on eBay <laughs> trying to buy yes. boxes of shells, um, ceramic uh, shell planters so that I can build these fibroids, basically these tumors yeah. inside yeah. these pieces. And I, I'm dreaming about it. I, I like, I, I feel oh. I'm so, I have goosebumps. Like, I'm like, oh my God, like I just turned 47 last week and I'm like, oh my God, this is, I think this is the next thing. Oh my god! It's gosh. super exciting. <laughs> I'm 47 too. What do you? Are you? But um, yes, follow that. Do it, man. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I can show. I mean, just the 30 days, are, are will show you. You can make 
a sculpture out of any crap you have laying around. <laughs> and, and it can be awesome. It's like this, it's like 2D, it's like putting together a puzzle and it's a really fun mental exercise. It I is. Think. And I don't know why I, I had a mental block against it. I was just like, no, that's not something I do. And it's like, why the hell not? You know, and oh, well, this is exciting. I know. I'm so excited. And I really like, that was partly why I wanted to have you on here was that I just, I wanted to say thank you because I really feel like it's been from watching you. And then those, those 30 pieces were, um, I looked forward to them. Like I was so excited. I always go back to your feet because I would look forward to the next one. And then, you know, had this kind of moment of clarity too, where I was like, you know, I've been making my own borax crystals and I, uh, you know, because I can't, I can't go collect things right now. Yeah. Um, and so, well, I can right after this phone call because the thrift shop is reopened, but um, I haven't been able to collect things. So I went out into my yard and found a bunch of rocks and I've yeah. painted them with glitter and like gold fleck to try and make them look like, you know, geodes and stuff. And I'm having so much fun in the three dimensional that I'm like, I'm just, I, and again, like, I don't care. I don't care if anyone buys these. I don't care. I just want to keep making them like a crazy person. Yes. You know, I should give you my book. I did a hundred days of sculpture once. Yeah. I so, saw you referenced that right at the very beginning of yeah, 30 days. You said, I'm going to do it again. And a lot of those were kind of bad, but, but yeah, I made a book of all of them and, oh. uh, in a, I, yeah, but what happens if you do it every day for 100 days, It's maybe it's why they call it a practice, is I had this laser focus of, like, every time I went for a walk, every time I was anywhere, I was always looking for objects. Yes. Um, it makes you so present because you have an assignment. Yeah, and you can make art out of pretty much anything, honestly. Yeah. Oh, that's exciting. Maybe I should do that to kind of force myself to really... Because, I mean, I know the first however many aren't going to be great because I'm figuring stuff out. But um, I just, I don't, I don't care. I just want to keep doing it and see where it goes. I'm, I'm so excited. I thought they were cool. I thought they were pretty good. They don't look like duds at all. No? Okay. I don't think no. they look like duds. I'm pretty proud. But then I kind of I wonder in like awesome. a month from now if I'll be like, oh my God. But, you know, no. I, I'm pretty proud of them because I'm still, this is TMI, but like, I was supposed to have my surgery in April, but of course it's been pushed. So I'm still living with chronic pain, right? I've still got this like giant uterus that is all causing all sorts of problems. And I've got these fibroids, these gross tumors that are getting bigger every day. And um, I need them out <laughs> every day. I'm watching my phone waiting for the hospital to call to give me my new date and they don't call me. Um, and so I'm like, well... You know, that's why I started these fibroid portraits in the first place that were on panel. But it's like, now that I've got this like new obsession, it's like, well, they're kind of my superpower. Like they're in there still. Like they're, the chronic pain mm. is fueling me. So I'm like, well, while they're mm. still like, what if they get chopped out? And then I don't have that passion anymore. Mm. So I'm like, I better, I better run with it right now. Wow. Yeah. It's interesting. Cause of, uh, how many years ago is that now? 10 years ago, I had a fibroid that caused me a ton of chronic pain and it's awful. And I understand. Yeah. <laughs> like, so many women mine, understand. Mine magically dissolved. It was only like 10 mil. I mean, it was like a centimeter. But um, mine is, yeah. I've got two. One is the size of a um, baseball. Oh, oh. And, and one is the size of a tennis ball. Um, oh. And um, they are not happy. 
in there at all. And they let me know every day. And so that's why I'm like, you know, I've talked about this before. And it's so funny that you said Superman and crystals. This is all coming together. I feel like it's that artists have this superpower to be like, you know, you are turning vulnerability into these really beautiful objects. And it's like, I'm going to turn these tumors into a seashell jewel encrusted yeah. work of art because it's like, or I can sit around and complain about how much pain I'm in, or I can make something beautiful from that experience. Right. And I think yeah. that artists have this, and it's just something that I've like has dawned on me again in the last few months. It's like, we have these superpowers. We can make stuff out of what's going on in our head. And, yeah. um, that's yeah. very freeing to, to have that power. Yeah. But I think even the 30 day art quarantine was like taking my terrified and, and turning it into objects or joy for other people. That's what was so interesting is the mm -hmm. reaction. Mm -hmm. And I, I mean, the day that you posted that, I was in my studio almost having a panic attack. Like, <gasps> and, and then I saw that. I was like, oh, make art every day. This <laughs> is going to be fun. And, and then I just, it just changed everything. That's amazing. You know, another artist that, that said the same thing, I just wrote about her yesterday. Um, I think her last name is Chico Rico, but how can that be right? But that's how it's spelled. Natalie... Wow. I think it's Chico Rico, which is the most awesome thing ever. She started, so she's an embroidery artist and she's mm. had this whole series where she's been doing um, these, uh, I forget what she calls them. They're basically color circles that she, she embroiders on old um, postcards and stuff. Well, because of the quarantine and the 30 day art quarantine, she started doing embroidery where she would incorporate things that she basically found in her yard or in nature walks with her family. And so she's actually embroidered like sticks and rocks and Things oh. she's found in nature, and she's embroidered them right onto the paper and like adhere, like sewn them in. And they are stunning. She can't, every time she posts one, she sells it like seconds later. Like she can't oh. keep them in stock. And it was such, it was just a happy accident because oh. she was forced to not do her usual stuff. And it's, it sparked this whole gigantic thing. So now she's making them bigger and she's doing like, it's so neat. Like again, just happy accident and, and yeah. she, she may have found an entirely new way to work yeah it's really God, cool. artists are awesome aren't they they are high fives to <laughs> us we awesome we are <laughs> now yeah. that is an excellent segue into the not so speedy speed round mm. are you ready okay. yeah it's pretty ready? easy i've got easy stuff for you okay first of all snacks sweet or salty oh shit oh um <laughs> i salty probably me too although everything has been a go during this quarantine <laughs> oh totally yeah that's part of the uh, slack exactly part, so. exactly um okay favorite tv show when you were a kid or oh. teenager teen oh. first thing that pops into your head when you think about tv in the 80s what strange is gilligan's island popped in my head or for some reason, when I was little, Gidget was on every day. Oh, that yeah, it's like a little show with black and white. I don't know why these old TV shows were playing because they were probably from the uh, they were black and white. So anyway, yeah. wow, yeah, I, all mine are like those like well because we're the same age. We found out now. Um, like Happy Days. Oh uh, yeah, you know all Gilligan's Island, all the after school stuff. Yeah. I do, yeah, I, Happy Days is pretty great. 
Yeah. But Laverne and Shirley, they're awesome. That's on Hulu. Look that up. <laughs> My mom <laughs> looked exactly like Shirley. And actually, I just had a memory come up on Facebook today because my mom, three years ago, was going on an, a European adventure with a few of her friends. And I posted a picture of Laverne and Shirley on a cruise. And, and it's like, that's exactly what my mom <laughs> <laughs> like, like Shirley wearing a sun hat and sunglasses off with, off with Laverne on an adventure. Yeah, all that stuff was just so good. I, I kind of miss, especially during this particular period of of stress. I really like fluffy, happy stuff that's not gory and dark. I know, I know. <laughs> like a lot of TV and stuff is. And I just miss that. I don't think a lot of things are made like that anymore. I know. I know. Right. I, I was saying that to my husband because we have all this stuff recorded, but it's like, like Killing Eve and like all these series that I normally love that I'm like, I can't can't watch that right now you know what I've been craving to watch and I can't find it anywhere is um old school Bugs Bunny and like Roadrunner and like just funny dumb comforting Saturday morning yeah I watch that every Saturday morning too yeah I mean that was actually art with this with the orchestra music I mean it's really kind of amazing I know, I'm, and I love that. Like, that's what I've been wanting to watch. I'm like, I kind of, there was days there where I was like, I want to curl up in the fetal position and just watch the roadrunner put the coyote through his paces. Totally. <laughs> oh my gosh, now I'm going to have to find that. I know, I can't find it, but it could be because I'm Canadian. We don't have Hulu. Like, I'm sure there's somewhere, but I can't find it for me. But oh. anyway. Okay, anyway. Um, next question. This might be very difficult for you to answer. Oh boy. What's your favorite piece of jewelry? What's your go-to? You're going to a gallery opening. You're like, I got it. I'm putting on something. Is it a giant ring? Is it a giant necklace? I mean, I try to wear my own work. Yeah. I have a few just massively huge um, quartz pieces that are gorgeous that I like. Necklaces? Um, There's also this stone called amphibolite. I don't know if I'm saying it right. But it's supposed to attract angels and magic energy, so that's another favorite. Ooh, what color is it? It's um, it's kind of like an amber color and has swirls of kind of caramely color in it. Mm, love it, love it. Yeah. How many how many of your pieces do you have like that you like that you can choose from if, when you're going somewhere? <laughs> I mean, I'm kind of bad because sometimes I just wear stuff and sell it later, like whatever I have. <laughs> laying around which is like 50 things then I'll just choose one. Oh my god that's awesome it depends a lot on my mood or what I think I need or something like that that day so cool I, I need to come to your house and raid it um, I won't steal anything I promise um, okay did you ever go by Debbie? <laughs> I, yeah when I was little but you now the rule is you have to have known me when I was like under 10 years old to call me Debbie <laughs> <laughs> was so it De- my- was it Debbie with an I? I E I E. And like did you? My, do- my parents can call me that. Yeah. And my best friend Ashley from childhood, and that's it. <laughs> did you ever dot your I with a heart? Oh, gross. Yeah, probably. <laughs> 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 yes. I tried so hard to be Danny at one point. Uh-huh. It just didn't stick. Nobody oh. called me that. Um, I, I never called myself that, but I thought it would be so cool to be Danny with an I. Interesting. I don't know when it changed. Maybe middle school? All of a sudden it just stopped. Did it go to Deb or did it go to Deborah? 
there's still a lot of people call me Deb. Um, Deb Baxter kind of rolls off the tongue. Yeah. Uh, Deb or Deborah. Yeah. 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 Um, okay. And if the final question, I've been asking everyone this during the quarantine. If you could go anywhere right now, where would you go? Anywhere in the world. Oh, man, I feel like I should choose something super exotic. You don't have I've to. Always, I've always wanted to go to Tulum. I'd like to go somewhere where the water is, like, clear and turquoisey. Mm -hmm. I don't know where that is, but and just lay on a beach. Yeah, that sounds really nice. One day. <laughs> One day. <laughs> One day. Uh, well, there. That's, that's all the stuff. All right. How fun was that? That was great. I could talk to you for like four hours. I know, so. me too. And now the bonus of all of this is that I get to put together a big, gorgeous, beautiful post with everything that we talked about. Um, I and I'll put in links about your um, your jewelry collaboration project because I think that's so amazing that some of the money will go to Navajo Nation and I'll get all mm. of the details from you and put it together. And um, I'm so happy that we got to do this and that um, I, I'm so happy that you know, watching that you participated in the quarantine thing so that I could, I could also try and become a sculptor too. Well, thank you. I think you saved my sanity and your, <laughs> your small gesture, crazy, crazy idea. I think it saved a lot of people. You never know the power of something that you do. I, I mean, know. This is, you know, it's fascinating. It is. And that's the power of the internet, especially right now. It's so mm -hmm. interesting. I, I was saying to my husband, like, you know, had this pandemic been another time where like there, you know, there, this was, there wasn't this connection to everybody and you could all, you know, be chatting and everybody can be sharing how they feel on, you know, Instagram and Facebook and whatever, you would truly be isolated. And, yeah. um, this has been, you know, I, I've formed like you and I have formed a new friendship over this. And like that yeah, is, yeah. is a really cool, you know, there's lots of silver linings. We just have to look for them. So I know I agree. Yeah. You're lemonade. Yeah. Just lemonade like all the time. Lemonade. Um, well, thank you so, so much. I'll let you get back to your, uh, to your day and I am going to the thrift shop. All right. All right. Um, wait to see what you make. I know me too. Who knows? Well, thank you again so much. And, um, I'll see you on Instagram. Okay. Sounds okay, great. Thanks, Deborah. Bye. I did go to the thrift shop as soon as I hung up and I found so much good stuff. Pretty soon my studio will be as crazy as Deborah's. Although I will need more rocks and crystals. Note to self. Thank you so much to Deborah for doing this with me. And thank you for listening. Now, next week is the final episode of the season of Art for Your Ear. And it is a doozy. Yep, Mimi Pond is going to be my final guest. And I am so excited for you to hear my conversation with this unbelievably creative, talented, and funny woman. So, I guess I don't have to say this, but it's kind of become my thing. So, there will be more art for your ear next weekend. See you then. <laughs> <laughs>